Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, November 5th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We are back live in Nashville. This is my once every four year apology for missing you Tuesday, election day and whatnot. So we're back here Thursday. Now, if you missed our Georgia, Florida preview, our Clemson, Notre Dame preview, don't worry. Director Colin cut it up just like that. It's on the channel so you can find it there. We also released those in podcast form this morning, special edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. So those are already out there. Now, we're about to circle back to those tonight, but also I've got several more Week 10. Yeah, we're going to call it Week 10 generically. It depends conference by conference what week it really is. But we've got several predictions on games from multiple conferences tonight. I'm going to have additional thoughts, as I said, on Georgia, Florida. Also, there are a lot of just tantalizing whispers out of Austin, Texas. And uh, you Texas fans are aware of these. Uh, maybe the rest of you kind of aware, but maybe not really aware well, we're going to offer them up, and then I'm going to give you a few thoughts on that tonight. And also, we have got best bets coming. I tweeted out three, I want to say, at one time earlier today. If you're not following me on Twitter, got to do that, at Late Kick Josh. Got a lot of complaints last week when people got in late on AM, which there's no excuse for because you can have them immediately if you follow me on Twitter and do that, at Late Kick Josh. Also, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. If you're watching right now, you're already here. Just click subscribe and click the bell for notifications so you can know when we go live. You guys, there are a lot of things we do on this channel other than just Late Kick. We put Barton and Bud on here in video form, so if you like that podcast, you want to actually see their bright, smiling faces, you can do that here. Wilt Fong's feature does really good traffic for us, the whip around. That's really good recruiting intel. There are not a lot of bells and whistles to it. It's just he and I, once a week, sometimes twice a week if there's an emergency, just talking about the latest in recruiting. Gives you a really good sense of what's going on. So subscribe. That's basically the uh, please Subscribe if you haven't already. Let's dive into some Week 10 predictions. Week 10 college football already upon us. As I said, it's kind of a case-by-case in conferences as to what week they describe it as being, but we're going to call it Week 10 for, again, very generic purposes. Let's go to Columbia, South Carolina. We're going to hop around to a number of games here. I'm going to give you picks and picks against the spread. Texas A&M, this number's kind of floated around, Colin. If we would have done this Tuesday night, A&M was like a 7.5-point favorite. Well, now they're a 10-point favorite on the road at South Carolina. This is a 7 o'clock Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. Uh, it is my opinion this is the best stretch that we've seen Texas A&M play football under Jimbo Fisher. You could pick a couple of stretches from maybe last year where you could maybe counter that, but I, I wouldn't. I would say this is the best stretch. Remember, they beat Florida, then they went on the road the next week and won a game that you may not have been impressed by, but I was impressed by it because they just handled business against Mississippi State, and that's a game where the number was under a touchdown, and they covered convincingly. And then last week, of course, they had another convincing win against Arkansas that was 42-17, to 17, guys, in the fourth quarter before Arkansas scored a couple of late touchdowns. And those count. I'm just saying that to give you an idea or a sense of 
how much game control there was on the AM side. You're not used to seeing that. Think about Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. What are you used to seeing? You're used to seeing pretty good roster, a lot of talent, general underachievement at the quarterback position, and therefore close games sometimes in matchups where you don't think it should be that close. So I think it's the best stretch they've played. Now question, of course, becomes can they continue playing very low margin or in some cases free margin for error football? South Carolina does not do that. South Carolina is once again in desperation mode. This kind of reminds me of the Auburn game that they had up in Columbia a couple of weeks ago. Only difference is that time they were coming off a win against Vanderbilt. This time they're coming off a bye. South Carolina has to figure out a way to pressure Kellen Mond because not many teams have been able to do it. Now, it's not just that they've played inferior competition. That's not what I'm suggesting. This A&M offensive line has been lights out. They gave up. I gave the stat the other day. They gave up two sacks in their week one kind of struggle win against Vanderbilt. They haven't given up one since then. They've been awesome. It's a shame that they reside in the same division as Alabama, so they kind of get overshadowed, but they've been really good. So the best way to try to put together a blueprint to pull the upset here is you got to affect Kellen Mond. I mean, you've seen him make mistakes in the past. You just haven't seen him do it recently. Because of that protection he's been given, he's completing nearly 65% of his passes. I don't know that many people even in Aggieland, would have expected that from Kellen Mond at the beginning of this year. So you've seen South Carolina play both roles. You've seen them benefit from plus turnovers, i.e. the Auburn game, and then you've seen them on the other end of it, i.e. the LSU game. What do we expect here? Well, I actually expect AM to continue to roll. So I'm going to take them to win. However, here's the problem. I looked in our model, and our model only has AM by about six and a half or seven. So South Carolina's rested, home game. You know, you got AM coming in there. It's, it's the first leg of a back to back road stretch, by the way. Our model only has it roughly AM minus seven. So I'm going to take South Carolina to cover, but we will take AM to win the game. Another game in the SEC that we haven't touched on much yet Tennessee is a two point favorite, as I checked it earlier this uh, morning, on the road at Arkansas. This is a 7 30 Eastern time kick on SEC Network. Now, I got to warn you, like a lot of times we'll have data, like we'll have numbers to back up what I'm feeling. But sometimes, and I give you fair warning if it's going to be different, I just have a gut feel on a game. So this is one of those gut feel games. I'm going to walk you through it here. Where are we buying these teams at? If you're going to bet either one of them this weekend, where are you buying them at? One of the reasons we liked, as I said, A&M over Arkansas so much last week is because we thought the respective buy points were at lows and highs. I mean, Arkansas, we didn't think it was going to get any better because they had been benefiting a lot off turnover margin than they were perceptionally going into that game. We thought the number should have been way higher than 10. And so we bought it and we won. But we also thought that there was a little bit of intrinsic value on Texas A&M. I say that because of this. I think the exact same case is in play here with Tennessee. Tennessee is a short favorite. And what I think a lot of people are seeing when they look at this game is they're seeing Tennessee mistake-prone, Tennessee, liability at quarterback, haven't been particularly special at any one position unit. Meanwhile, Arkansas is coming off a loss, so they're in wounded animal mode. They got a winnable game here. They're looking to get back on track, and they may have the edge at quarterback with Felipe Franks. Okay, that's what I think a lot of people are seeing. Here's what I want you to remember. You've got a better roster at Tennessee. Doesn't always mean everything, but I just want to put a few things together here to explain the gut feel I have on this. you got a better roster there. You've got a rested team, finally. This is a team that's been thrown in a scheduling wood chipper, Tennessee already. 
the perception you have of them is because they are a team that had to play Alabama and Georgia already. So there aren't many teams that even go one and one in that stretch. So yeah, they've been made to look bad. They've been beaten up. But what if I were to have replaced Georgia and Alabama with, um, I mean, I don't know, they, they play Kentucky and got blown out. But you understand what I'm saying. The product on the field probably perceptionally would have been a little better. What I'm asking you is this. I'm asking you, what if you're able to pressure Felipe Frank Saturday a little bit more? And what if instead of that plus turnover margin, equal or plus turnover margin for Arkansas being a reality, what if for the first time Tennessee coming in there a little bit more rested, they're able to get after the quarterback and tilt that turnover possession? Now, again, as much as I say that, I always tell you there's no way to predict that stuff. There sometimes are situations where I just kind of get a little hunch that you've got one of those turnover tilt type games coming. Can't explain why. And I certainly wouldn't move money because of it. But I'm telling you, I think one of those games are coming here, or is coming here. And I think, as a result, you're going to end up, as much as people are talking about Felipe Franks and the overachievement, and I agree, with this Arkansas passing game, I think that starting with this game and moving down the back half of their schedule, I think some of those young guys in that Tennessee receiving core will start to make their mark on the rest of this season. And again, I think Garantano's best game of the year is probably still out there somewhere. I just think this is the time, kind of like Mond last week. I think this is the time that's going to happen. So I'm going to take Tennessee to win and Tennessee to cover the two. And I would stay tuned. I'm not going to give that out as a best bet tonight, but I am going to tell you I feel pretty good about it to the point where I could see us moving on that game before kickoff. All the more reason to follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. How about Texas? Going to talk about the Horns a little bit later in the show. They're at home against West Virginia. This is a noon Eastern kickoff, 11 a.m. local time kick on ABC Texas, a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Let me remind you what I just said. The Texas Longhorns, you probably most recently remember them for going into Stillwater, Oklahoma, and beating, at that point, undefeated Oklahoma State. They're now coming home, and they're favored by less than a touchdown. <coughs> Excuse me. Crouton dust, Colin. That was rough. They're favored by less than a touchdown against West Virginia. And I, I was checking my DMs earlier today, and sure enough, some of the same people who were telling me that that line didn't make sense last week. You know, why Why is why is Oklahoma State only favored by a three against Texas? Some of those same folks are popping in there now. They're on the other side of that coin. They're saying, why is Texas only favored by six and a half? I mean, have you ever seen someone beg you to take the points or lay the points rather more than this line? So let's dive into this for a second. Future predictability. You hear that phrase a lot here. Sometimes I'll tell you that a final was misleading i.e. the Texas-Oklahoma State game last week, was very misleading. The Penn State-Indiana final was very misleading. And sometimes the winning team's fans hear that and they say, why are you trying to take away the value of our win? I'm not at all. The win is the win. Texas won last week. That's all that matters. But when we're doing what we're doing right now, we're looking ahead. So we're looking to the future. So in the terms of future predictability, what you want to know is something like what Bill Conley does with the S&P Plus, which is win predictability. And so you want to know a thousand times out of a thousand, like how many times would that have happened? Texas outcome last week against Oklahoma State in terms of future predictability tells you nothing. In fact, it tells you that it was a game that about 97 times out of 100, they probably lose. Doesn't matter last week. But now as we look forward, any confidence that you have from that game that you're applying on this game, that's where I'm trying to caution you. Good matchups here, I think, for West Virginia. I'm going to lean West Virginia to cover. I'm going to tell you in a second whether I think they'll outright win. But this Texas pass defense, 
While there's been some incremental improvement defensively for them, overall, I mean, they're giving up a little over 63% completion percentage. So there will be plays to be made here. It's kind of an early kickoff, one of those sleepy morning kickoffs, and sort of a letdown spot. Uh, this is a team under Tom Herman that's been notorious for their inability to string consecutive A- minus or better performances together. It's it's not that they never play at that level. Do they string them together? So it's an early kickoff, sort of a letdown spot, very opportunistic defense. You saw it last week with West Virginia, and they're balanced enough offensively. I'll take West Virginia to cover the six and a half. I actually think they're going to win the game outright. So I'll take a mild upset there. They're going into Austin, and I think they'll win. And a game that I feel really good about, to wrap it up here, Michigan is a three-point favorite on the road at Indiana. This is also a noon kick. A lot of the action's happening early. This is on FS1, I believe. So I think it's a great matchup for Michigan. They're only favored by three. I think some people would be scared away. It's almost like if you want to take Michigan, there are these people out there uh, in the betting world that kind of reverse psychologically attack themselves. They would rather see Michigan favored by seven than by three. They'd be more confident in that. They're almost scared someone knows something they don't know when they see a line this low. If you're thinking like that, I would highly advise against ever wagering a cent on this stuff. In fact, I would say that in general. But I would especially say if that's how you're determining where you're putting portions of your paycheck relative to games happening on Saturday, stop. Just go to Applebee's or something. Spend the money that way. Just stop doing that. Michigan's favored by three. Well, here's why. What's everyone screaming about Michigan right now? Last week. In fact, this is a last impression game, okay? Uh, it's, it's always the case. What are the lasting impressions you have of these two teams? You remember Michigan losing, famously as a three-plus touchdown favorite, against Michigan State, and you remember Indiana upsetting Penn State. That's what you remember. And that's what probably your prediction or your general impression of this game is based on. Don't. Don't allow that to happen. When I talked about game-winning percentage predictability, remember what we were talking about there with Texas? That was the number one most misleading final of the season so far. In terms of future predictability, the number two most misleading final of the year has been Indiana over Penn State. So I don't really care much about that game as it relates to the future. And I'll also tell you this. Number one, Indiana will not run successfully against Michigan. Though They're giving up 28 points per game right now. So number two, Michigan, I think, will be able to score. Number three, there, I think, are sizable advantages along both lines of scrimmage in this game for Michigan. It's a mismatch both ways. And Penn State and that final against Indiana, again, as I told you, I don't really care about it. I also love that Michigan lost last week. Like, do you understand what the week's been like up there? Very tense, very attention to detail oriented. Why would you ever be scared away from that? We're going to take Michigan to win. We're going to take Michigan to cover. And we're not done talking about that game, so stay tuned. I'm going to hit it again later in the show. Now let's move on to a game that we already broke down and we gave you our official prediction on. Florida, Georgia, some added final thoughts here because, boy, you guys lit up the comment section. Uh, there's been a lot of talk back and forth. There always is the week of this game. It's one of the games that I look forward to every year. But not just on the SEC schedule, but on the uh, college football schedule in general. So I'm doing a radio hit earlier today. And as Colin is showing you the game capsule here, Georgia favored by four in Vegas. We already gave you our prediction. We think the wrong team is favored. We like Florida to cover, and we like Florida to win outright. And let's say that were to happen. I was asked during a radio hit earlier today in the Carolinas, would this shift the balance of power in the SEC East? What does a Florida win do? Does it shift the balance of power? Now, sometimes that's a little hyperbolic, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can actually 
five years down the road, look back on one outcome and you can say, hey, this entire dynamic, whether it be a rivalry, an entire conference, this entire dynamic and the reason it is the way it is now, it shifted that day. You can point to one moment in time. I, I think back a generation ago. Think about this Florida team playing Alabama in the SEC title game in 2009. Saban beats Meyer. Uh, that's the beginning of the Alabama dynasty and run to multiple national championships. The beginning of the end for the Florida run under, under uh, Urban Meyer. So like that's one moment in time you can point to. So I was asked earlier today, is that going to be the case with Florida-Georgia? So it could be. I mean, if they beat Georgia, it could be. But you will not have the answer to that question Saturday one way or the other. I don't care if Florida wins 38-10. to 10. You won't have any answer about a shift of balance of power. Because if it only takes one game to shift a balance of power, then the balance of power is not all that strong to begin with, in my opinion. But one game can do it. The question with Florida is what do they do with the win? Do they go and lose another game down the stretch and make themselves irrelevant in the college football playoff conversation before they ever go to Atlanta, let's say? Or do they go to Atlanta and play an ultra-competitive game with Alabama, maybe beat Alabama, and go to the college football playoff, if that's what they do with it, and then they reap the benefit on the recruiting trail, well, then all of a sudden, you can entertain this a lot more. And speaking of recruiting, it's a huge storyline all the time, but it's, it's never a bigger storyline than when you have an unprecedented year like this year. Here's what I mean. I was talking to Steve Wolfong the other day. We do the Wolfong recruiting whip around, and I, I think he watches the show, so uh, shout out Wolfong in his brand spanking new office studio. And so he made a really good point the other day that I frankly had not thought of. He said, you know what? We've still got the early signing date coming up and we've still got the regular signing date coming up, but you know what we don't have? We don't have an official visit season. See, back in the spring, there were a bunch of commitments. There was a wave of commitments all over the place and everyone assumed in the industry, everyone assumed, oh, there's gonna be a wave of decommitments in the fall once things open back up and kids are taking official visits because a lot of kids are committing to programs that they've never been on the campus of. Well, things never open back up. Uh, official visit season's not happening this year. And so what does that have to do with this game? Well, Steve goes on to say, tell you, the more I talk to kids, the more I talk to coaches, the more feedback I get from prospects, from their parents, since they can't go on official visits and they're not having the, the general impression they would that would matter more than the outcome on the field since they're not meeting the dean of the college they're going to enroll in, since they're not interacting with the head coach and his family, since they're not seeing the campus, since all those things aren't on the table, here's what is on the table, the outcome of games. you got a lot of kids inevitably that have Georgia and Florida in any given year, this one no different, in their list of finalists. Normally, the winner of this game, largely irrelevant to where a kid's going to go. This year, don't take my word for it. I'm telling you, Will Fong does not lie about this stuff. It matters. The outcome matters. So you talk about a balance of power shift. Well, what if Florida were to win the game, and then they land two kids you didn't expect them to necessarily land, and they were finalists with Georgia for, and those kids on that signing day and a little bit thereafter go on record as saying, hey, man, I was convinced. When I saw Dan Mullen and that offense do some work against Georgia, that's what convinced me. That's the kind of stuff that you could talk about if you want to go overarching balance of power shift. I just want to remind you, again, I kind of showed you that, that we have a difference of opinion with Vegas on this game. I just want you to remember the core belief that has existed amongst Florida folks in relation to this rivalry. They look at the Georgia roster, 
They say, we don't compare. Very few teams do, though. That's okay. Here's been the strategy. Their mentality has always been this. We're probably not going to out-recruit them until we beat them. And maybe even then we won't. Kirby Smart's one of the best in the world at recruiting. But we don't have to out-recruit them. Here's what we have to do. And if you're tuning in right now, as, as someone inevitably is, I am speaking in the shoes of a Florida fan, not assuming the role of one necessarily. I'm not being a homer on the air. Here is what they think. They've always thought if we can get a comparable roster so we can just compete with the roster, we will out-coach them on game day. We'll out-scheme them. We'll out-execute them. We will out-work them on game day if we can get in the same ballpark. Now, here's the bonus. So they think they're there. Here's the bonus. The bonus is they got a really big quarterback edge this year that, I mean, maybe you expected somewhat at the beginning of the year, but you certainly, no one in the summer was saying, Kyle Trask versus Stetson Bennett in Jacksonville. Who's got their tickets? Uh, I, think, uh, I think that ticket would have been very popular in Gainesville. So this is the moment. This is the moment for Dan Mullen in Florida. At Georgia, here's another reason why it could be their moment. They're banged up, man. I just, I, it, it kind of sucks that this is the spot Georgia's in. No one feels sorry for Georgia, and no one's asking you to feel sorry for him, to be honest with you. But Jordan Davis... I know that he's still questionable. I was reading Jake's stuff over on Dogs 24-7 today and just kind of texting back and forth with a couple other folks close to the program. I don't think Jordan Davis is going to be much of a factor Saturday, and he's a huge factor in a normal game week for Georgia. He's an interior disruptor. I mean, he can affect the quarterback. He's a, He can play a lot of different roles for Georgia. Probably won't be there. You know Richard LeCount's not there, had the motorcycle wreck. So you're talking about two pivotal pieces right up the middle on different levels, of course, for that Georgia defense that either aren't there or aren't near 100%. Monty Rice going to give it a go. You don't necessarily know what you get from him. Quay Walker, it looks like, will be able to play. Uh, Julian Rochester probably out. So it's just, I, I, I'm not saying that they don't stand any chance of winning. Certain, they're favored. I mean, they're favored in the game. There's a reason they're favored. However, I think it adds a lot of emphasis on that little scale as you try and tilt it back and forth. When you hear Florida folks say it, we were talking about it in the preseason. It's no different now. This game has the exact tenor we thought it would. There is a ton of optimism around Florida, probably even more than I thought there would be. And then the second part is, as much optimism as there is, you've never seen a narrative shift more radically over a three or three and a half hour period than it will if they can't get the job done against Georgia. That's just the way it is, man. That's big boy college football. If you wanna, if you wanna get to the top rungs of that ladder, it's, it's very thin air up there, and it's a, there's a very fine margin between being a contender versus you've let us down. Man, this program ain't what I thought it was going to be. That could go one way or the other. Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday when we're doing the show. I mean, we could, we could be talking about radically different stories about Florida and the mood of the fan base over the span of just four quarters of football. How close... And when you think about Georgia's game against Alabama, like that's what everyone's drawing from because this is the next best passing attack that they will have faced since they faced Alabama. So I wonder, how close can Florida come to duplicating uh, portions of that vertical passing attack that Alabama was able to establish? Because I, as much as I admire what Dan Mullen has done with Kyle Trask down there, I don't think they have the pure vertical passing threat in their passing game in general. I'm not saying they lack the speed, but the, in general – I don't think they have that to the degree that Bama does with Smith and Waddle. No one does. So how close are they to having that? How much yards after catch work can they do? You know, when you, for instance, when you got Kyle Pitts, but then you got Tony, you got a lot of these other weapons. How, how many of those yards come after catch? Because a lot of them come in a normal Florida game. Here's the number two thing. 
that could totally wreck this. The number two thing is, can you force anywhere close to a stalemate on the line of scrimmage? Or is this the kind of game where everyone's talking about quarterback, everyone's talking about wide receiver, and everyone's talking about these sort of ancillary things, but Georgia totally controls the line of scrimmage and renders a lot of it meaningless? Do we turn this game on and midway through the second quarter start texting each other or, or tweeting that, oh, man, dude, Georgia's wrecking their offensive front. Oh, man, look at the surge this Georgia offensive line's getting. That's what they're banking on. That's what they're banking on. But if it doesn't work out that way, and if by defensive scores, special team scores, just pure offensive scoring, if Florida grabs a 17-3 lead early, or at any point for that matter, how does Georgia play catch-up? There is a lot of talk about JT Daniels right now. There were a lot of folks that thought, hey, this is the game we'll probably see him. Well, I don't think that's happening. But I do wonder, like in lieu of that, what is, the, what is the game plan to play catch-up? I was listening to Kirby Smart talk after that Kentucky game, and you know he, he, was, he was kind of vocal about, I see our offense in practice. I, I know that we can do some things, but hey, when we get in the game and we realize we're suffocating someone, i.e. Kentucky, eh, we're probably not going to put our foot down on the floorboard too much. We don't have to. Well, here's how that translates to me. We've got it. We just don't need to show it all the time. I don't believe that. I flat out think that's incorrect. I don't think the Georgia offense possesses that right now. However, I've been wrong before, and I am willing to admit Kirby Smart knows his team just a little bit better than I do. So we'll see about that. And in Georgia terms, hopefully you don't have to see about that. But either way, here's what I can guarantee you, because I know both these teams pretty well, and I certainly know you guys. Sunday night will be entertaining. This show, Sunday night, certainly will be entertaining. That much is for sure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, let's shift gears and let's talk about, we already talked about the Texas game Saturday, but some of you may not care about West Virginia versus Texas, but I think a lot of you care about whether there's a hot seat situation and maybe a superstar head coach looking to work his way into the equation at Texas. There are two things that are not going anywhere this year. The Tom Herman hot seat talk is probably not going anywhere this year because I think most people who have him on the hot seat are not going to be convinced. After they lost against Oklahoma, I don't think a win over Oklahoma State is, is changing many people's opinion one way or the other. That's not going anywhere, and the smoke about Urban Meyer is not going anywhere. So I'm perusing the Horns 24-7 board today, and I saw a quote that I disagreed with. I didn't even write down the poster, so I'm sorry. But I, um, I was reading, and you tell me if you agree with this. It's, it's an opinion deal. Yours is worth this, every bit as much as mine. But someone wrote on the board, you fire a head coach when players stop playing hard for that coach and their teammates. 
there is no quit on this team yet. So in other words, as long as the team hasn't quit on Tom Herman, there's no reason to fire him. Now, I, in general, I wholeheartedly disagree with that sentiment. You can have plenty of reason to move on from a guy whose team hasn't quit on him. I mean, you could be 0-10 and still play hard. There are a lot of bad teams out there that play hard. Texas probably not going 0-10 this year. But my point is, independent of Texas, just in general, I'm not a believer in that. That's how you get your wagon hitched to a long, long tenure of mediocrity. So now we zoom into the Texas situation. Do you remember when they lost to Oklahoma? I told you I thought that was a must-win game. I told you, in my humble opinion, changes would come eventually as a result of that loss. Not the next week, but they would come eventually. And then, do you remember I told you, I think it was last week, Colin, it was pretty recently, I sat on this very show, and I told you I'd had some discussions with some Texas buddies of mine, and I had presented my viewpoint, but I'm not a Texas insider. I'm not a Texas fan, so like, I don't have ownership in the program like they do. I wanted to know how they felt. And a lot of you reached out afterwards. Some of the Texas folks who watched the show and listened to the podcast, you reached out afterwards to voice your opinion, and it was about 80-20 in agreement with what I felt. But the 20%, just to kind of play devil's advocate, which I did on the show, I told you the 20% were saying, well, we can't wreck recruiting. If we were to get rid of Tom Herman, it would wreck recruiting. Well, then Quinn Ewers decommitted in the 2022 class, and that's, that's just an absolute mess to have that happen. And so you started to see some bleeding in recruiting. This year's class is not lighting the world on fire. You've had, I mean, big legacy guys like the Brockermeyers leave the state. And so it, this was not going to be all that special a class either. So especially in light of the USD commitment, I went back to them and I said, what now? I just want you to, I want to have a devil's advocate argument. So recruiting's bleeding. You certainly don't have any consistent elite product on the field or anything close to elite. What are you selling me on? All I want to do is I want someone to come up and I want you to tell me, what am I waiting on? Because I can understand someone saying, you got to have patience. you got to give him some time. I'm okay with that as long as you can give me a vision of what is it I'm waiting on. What is it you have reason to believe is coming that just hasn't come quite yet, but you give it a little more time, you know, the roots will take hold, and you will eventually see a harvest. What are we waiting to see grow? And what signs, what indicators do you have that it'll be there? Because I look for it. Uh, this is the last show you'll come to and hear me calling for someone to be fired every week. That's not the kind of show we do. I just think Texas is so much better than they have been, and I don't think that they have the right, um, the right elements in place right now to maximize that potential. So the game at Oklahoma State last week kind of deadened some of the outward criticism, but like I said, I get the sense from kind of just the feelers that I get from around that program. I don't think many people whose opinions are really going to matter on this we're swayed all that much last week. Nor do I think a win or a loss Saturday either way changes anyone's opinion. It's, you know, I, I develop my opinion already, so what they do the rest of the year is irrelevant for me. I don't do the whole week-to-week -week change of opinion. I was, I was doing one of the consultations that I've been doing with a lot of you guys who are interested in getting into this line of work. And uh, last night, by the way, email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com if you want to get in on one of those. Got a few slots open for next week. So uh, someone asked me, how do you avoid doing that? How do you avoid being very knee-jerk and you know, going on the air the day after a loss and saying, fire this man? And so I gave him the water-honey analogy, which I've used many times before. This is how you have to think as a rational person or, more importantly, as an athletic director. I, always, I, used, I had it explained to me one time by someone who was in a hiring and firing position. He said, the way you avoid the knee-jerk reaction is you put a drop of honey on one plate and you put a drop of water on another plate. 
and then you turn both the plates sideways and the water drips off immediately. The honey just starts slowly creeping towards the ground and gravity's working on it, but it's gonna take a little while. He said, you gotta be the honey. The fans, they can be the water because it's not their job. They can be emotional, it's not their job. You gotta be the honey because if you're the water, you change your mind every quarter and a half and you end up digging your athletic department in such a hole with so many buyouts to simultaneously pay that you're never gonna be successful. So I try and adopt that mentality as just a neutral observer. I've got my opinion of this current coaching staff. I don't think it's gonna work out there, but here's the caveat I've always had, and here's the caveat I always will have. It's the reason I laugh at folks who criticize Malzahn at Auburn and call for him to be fired. I criticize it because of the following question. I always ask the same one. Who do you have that's going to be definitively better than the man currently in charge? No one's ever able to give me an answer at Auburn. Right now, there is an answer out there for Texas. The answer is Urban Meyer. Unlike some who have dismissed that as just, oh, that's a laughable notion. I believe that the smoke is legitimate. What I don't believe is anything's been decided. I talked with Urban Meyer for like 30 minutes a few months ago. We put the interview on the YouTube channel, actually. And I, just suffice it to say, I said at the time, and I will reiterate it now, I don't believe that man's done coaching. I don't believe he believes he's done coaching. So I'll just say that. I've never talked to Urban Meyer about Texas, never for a second in my life. I'd love to. And coach, you can reach out. Uh, you got my number. But I, I'm just independent of that. I think they believe that that's a possibility. And if it is a possibility, and if they can actually get that done, you've got your definitive upgrade. So that's what we're watching with Texas. I don't know what in the world the results Saturday would have to do with anything, but that's what you got going on at Texas. Now, before we get out of here, let's talk about the Ramen Noodle Express. We are 60.5% against the spread this year. We are rolling. We are very happy with our results, but we could always be better. General reminder, not all of these are handed out on a live show. A lot of times I hand these out on Twitter. Why? Because we want to lock in an exact number. Case in point, we got Florida plus four and a half the other day. Well, then it was only plus three. And so some of you were asking, do you like it at three? You do with your money what you want to. I wanted it at four and a half. That's why when we handed it out, it was at four and a half and we chose that moment. So follow me on Twitter to avoid all that mess. At Late Kick Josh. You will never get a worse number than what we get if you just follow me on there. So, Colin, let's take a look at the Ramen Noodle Express, and let's hand out our other best bets for the week. We have told you Florida plus four and a half was our early best bet that we handed out. We're all over Michigan minus three. That looks like a square number. I don't think it is at all. We love Michigan this week. So lay the three points there. We're taking Utah, the Pac-12 opener. Out west, Arizona is at Utah. We're laying two touchdowns. Utah minus 14. That's where we want that. Here's a weird one. Pitt is plus one and a half at Florida State. Our model loves Pitt this week. So we're taking the one and a half points. We think they're going to win the game outright. Texas Tech is on the road at TCU. We're taking the Red Raiders plus nine. In summary, very quickly, Florida plus four and a half. Michigan minus three. Utah minus 14. Pitt plus one and a half. Texas Tech plus nine. And a general word of warning. I've done it the last, I think, three weeks. And I'm going to give you the warning again. I do not believe that we're done for this weekend. So that means you need to be following me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. A lot of those are handed out on Saturday morning. A couple of weeks ago, I'll give you an example as we close. A couple of weeks ago, we got a heads up that the Southern Miss quarterback was going to be out against Liberty. 
We found that out about 20 minutes before, 20, 30 minutes before the general market did. So we locked in Liberty. That line ended up moving like four or five points right before kickoff. So we were in on it. And that's not something I possibly could have known Thursday night. So point is, I'm not always live on the air when we find out that stuff. So you want to be following me there. I think I've given out that handle enough. Uh, again, also for any of you who are you know, aspiring to get into some line of work similar even to what we do here. Maybe you just want to crank up a YouTube channel and make it about roofing. I don't care. You know I have experience in it. And I'm happy to listen to you and talk to you. So if you want to schedule one of those Zoom consultations, I'm available for that. Got some open slots. Had a couple of folks had to back out tomorrow. So got some open slots. Email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Or you can DM me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. All right, we got to get out of here for Director Colin, for Jordan, and for Tanya on the podcast side. I'm Josh Pate. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football, and God bless. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 Kiss the Future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply